Today we're talking about telomeres and how the length of your telomeres affects aging and the formation of cancer and the things that you can do in your life to affect your own health and the length of your telomeres. Hey there, and welcome. I'm your host, Regina Topolson, registered dietitian, plant-based foodie, amateur athlete, mom of teenage boys and one lucky girl, cancer survivor, and host of the Life Well Lived podcast. Living through cancer seemed like the hard part until I had to learn how to live after. We all want to feel healthy and safe and know that our life has meaning and purpose. If you're a patient, survivor, or caretaker, this is the place to find hope and inspiration through life's great disruptor and learn to live more fully today. Today, my special guest is Corey Jones Weinert, and he is a postdoc researcher at the Salk Institute for Biomedical Sciences in the lab of Jan Karlsetter. And I guess the big question is, what are you studying, Corey? Hey, Regina. First, thanks so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be here and to get to talk about my work with the public uh, and you. So I study telomeres and how telomeres affect cancer development at a very, very basic level. When cancer is first initiating, telomeres have a very important and critical role for preventing cancer initiation. And our lab is interested in understanding how this process works. Okay. So we're, so you're studying how telomeres prevent cancer from growing, developing as such. Okay. What, are telomeres let's back up for just like one second what are telomeres what exactly are we studying here right so that's that's i guess that's an important segue into why it is that i study what i study so just a very brief history of telomeres so they were first discovered long ago by a brilliant scientist named barbara mcclintock that was looking at metaphases which is where you can actually look at telomeres and saw that these ends of chromosomes were not fusing together like broken chromosomes were. So they were studying DNA repair. They were looking at radiation and they saw that it broke DNA and they saw that it didn't heal. They saw that broken DNA would heal, whereas normal telomeres that are the ends of chromosomes just stay there as ends of chromosomes. They thought these things have to be a little bit different. So that was the first observation of telomeres. Since then, more work has been done to understand what telomeres are um, how they're and how they're regulated. And in 2009, the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine was awarded to three brilliant telomere researchers that discovered that did a, the bulk of work that we, upon which we now base a lot of our understanding on into how telomeres work. So what is a telomere? So our body is made up of cells and all of our cells have the same set of instructions for what operations they need to perform and how they need to perform it. They all have the same set of instructions, but as you can see, our body is composed of entirely different things. So how these cells know what specific set of instructions to to perform is by reading their DNA. And each cell knows that they need to read this part of the DNA in this way, or this part of the DNA in this way. So obviously our DNA, probably you and everyone has heard of, is incredibly important and it's necessary to maintain the the faithfulness or the accuracy of those instructions in our cells. And that is one of the jobs of telomeres. So chromosomes or DNA is located on chromosomes, which is the, the individual structure of our DNA. And at the ends of these chromosomes, there are telomeres. So chromosomes are the structures that store DNA and they're protected by telomeres. Telomeres themselves are stretches of DNA. Okay. And DNA in, in case, um, we don't remember um, from from school is composed of four repetitive amino acids that we can just call the letters of DNA, which are A, T, G, and C. So telomeres are this block of DNA at the ends of chromosomes that act as a bit of a buffer to prevent the end from looking like broken DNA. Because as I mentioned earlier, one of the first observations was that when a chromosome breaks, it heals together, but Chromosome ends look like natural broken DNA, but they do not fuse together normally. So there's something weird about telomeres. 
years. Okay, I want to take this a little bit to a higher yeah. level because kind of like the bird's eye view, we have these instruction manuals, right, yeah. for each cell. And that would be like a skin cell is a skin cell and a bone cell is a bone cell and they're not competing against each other and they don't care what the other one is doing. They just know that this is who they are and they have the right instruction manual to be that thing. So the, the DNA, that instruction, that recipe, these instructions are housed in like these long things that look like shoelaces. And at the end of those shoelaces are these protective kind of plasticky, like, well, they're not plastic, but it's what we think of on the end of shoelaces, the plastic parts that are holding this whole thing together and keeping it from unraveling. However, you're saying sometimes the shoelace will break, not at the ends where the telomeres are, somewhere in the middle, it doesn't matter where. And when it comes back together, it doesn't necessarily come back together perfectly, kind of like a bone. So like when someone breaks a bone, the bone fuses back together but maybe not exactly perfectly the way that it was prior to being broken. Do I get yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is that is that is that is very true. And I think you even added a little bit of cool information there, which is that when it heals, it may not be totally accurate, and that can introduce mutations. Which I think a large part of the, of your audience is coming from the cancer space, so yes. they're very much aware of what mutations are and how they affect how they can they can lead to cancer development. So yes, exactly. If um, broken DNA is not healed correctly, it could change the code, the instructions, and introduce mutations. Right. And so I don't know how many people in my audience actually know what a mutation is or that cancer can develop from a mutation. A specific mutation that occurred that resulted in a specific type of cancer, which I'm now forgetting the name of. But it was two genes that because of the way that it came back together, the chromosome, those two genes next to each other produced a very specific cancer. And I think it was figured out pretty quickly that if you just put like a little cap on the receptor, like that, that would inactivate that cancer. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So this, this kind of cancer happens fairly often where there are some, maybe call them driver mutations which is where you get a fusion of one part or not necessarily this specific event of, of mutation, but this is one way that it can happen. You get like the part of one set of instructions that tells you how often to read the instructions fused to another part of instructions that tells you what to do. Then all of a sudden you have something that regulates how much you do something that is regulating the, the, the specific action. Mm-hmm. And then if, if this action is to grow more, for example, I mean, and the, the amount of time that you should do it as frequently, then that is cancer, for example. Yes, yes. Cancer is very heterogeneous. In other words, right. the mutation is not the same mutation in every cancer cell. And that cancer, it's like a tumor is very different in its makeup and its genetic makeup, if you will. So... I don't know if we're getting ahead of ourselves here with the telomeres and how cancer grows and everything, but every time a cell mutates, it creates a new problem. And so that's why tumors are some, sometimes hard to attack is because, you know, you might be giving one drug to attack one type of mutation, for example, overgrowth, right? But by the time you are doing that, there's already different mutations with, you know, other, I talk about these hallmarks of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, overgrowth is one type of mutation and there's several others. And so, you know, by the time you're trying to treat that overgrowth, there's other mutations that you're not treating. And so that's why it's hard to kind of, and I, I wish that breast cancer actually many cancers, but especially breast cancer. I wish that it was as easy as that one that I can't remember the name of where you just put a little cap on it and it's all done. You know, unfortunately it's, that's not where we are just yet. Right. No, so, yeah. For, for many, it's not. So right. in, indeed. So as you mentioned, yeah, cancers can be extremely heterogeneous, both within one tumor. So even though all of these cells are in theory, the same quote unquote disease, 
They can be very, very different one to another. Sometimes there are driver mutations, which are things that are maybe necessary for the cancer or are present in almost all of the cancer cells. And these would be common mutations between them. But then as cancers develop and begin a tumor, and especially as it metastasize, they can accumulate many, many, many more mutations. And they may actually eventually lose their dependency on this initial one. So indeed, as you said, if you, if you try to target that initial one that you think is the, is, you know, going to be the golden bullet target, it may end up being that uh, you actually select for other mutations or, you know, something else comes up. So the treatment may work for a short time, but then that could be one potential cause for a, um, for relapse. Mm, interesting. So back to these telomeres that you're exactly. studying and how they, and how they prevent cancer from developing in the first place. Take me through that process a little bit, like, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so whenever a cell divides, which our, you know, we started as single cells when sperm met egg and it was fertilized. So when every time the cell divides, it has to copy its instructions and it copies its instructions. Um, so two things happen. Uh, one that I want to outline here, obviously many things happen. So one as it copies its instructions, if it copies it incorrectly, just randomly, that could cause mutations, mm-hmm. which is what we were just talking about. So th- those could, that could be one potential source for mutations. And another thing that happens every time a cell divides is the telomeres get a little bit shorter. There is a general inability of cells to completely replicate all of their telomere. So this, this analogy, this metaphor that we were talking about earlier with the shoelace, which is a very good analogy for telomeres, you can imagine that every time you, you look at that shoelace and you want to copy it to create another one for the next cell, the very end gets just a little bit shorter and it gets a little bit shorter with every single cell division. And that kind of acts as a bit of a clock for cells to know when they should stop dividing. Because after a certain amount of cell growth, they may have accumulated many mutations. As I mentioned, they replicate their DNA, their instructions, and maybe not always accurately. So then these, this telomere length tells the cell when it should stop dividing because when it's too short, telomere no longer functions to protect the cell and instead the the cell recognizes it as short and either goes into senescence which is it stops growing entirely or it kills itself so senescence right so senescence i like to think of as a like the golden years of aging, right? It's like when you hit 75 and you're just like, I'm retiring and I'm just going to like hang out and play golf, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> just, just like, chilling. No longer, chilling. you don't have a specific function. You're just kind of there, just being. <laughs> right, yeah. So that's how I like to think of senescence, right? And then program cell death, apoptosis, right? We we know that the cell like self-destructs, you know, like the the... It was a little cartoon and sometimes it would, you know, you would open them, the character would open the message and say, this message will now self-destruct. And it would like <laughs> blow up right in front of their face. Mission impossible, right? Mission impossible. Or I think it was oh, um, awesome. uh, Inspector Gadget was the little cartoon. Okay. He was very, yeah, very cool. I remember that. Sure. Yeah. He was an inspector, like a police. An inventor, guy. right? Because he had all these little gadgets that would come out of his arms and his legs. Yes, yes. Also yeah. an inventor. So anyway, so sometimes the message that he would get was that this message would now self-destruct and it would just like poof right in front of him. And so I kind of think like apoptosis is getting that, the cell getting that instruct, like opening the envelope and saying, you will now self-destruct. And, and the cell does without asking any questions. But the senescence is sort of the cells that just get to kind of like hang out at the end of life and kind of chill and not do much. And I think it's interesting what you said here, too, about those telomeres not being replicated every time is that that is sort of the biological clock of the cell. It is what tells kind of what tells us how old the cell is. Kind of like how trees have the the circular bark of how old, you know, you can, if you splice a tree in half and then you can see how many rings they have and then that's how old they are. So kind of like that's how the telomeres are is they tell us how old that cell or that tissue is. And then it also kind of dictates aging in the human, in the total human body. like it, it's, it's how we age, right? It's that not being able to replicate either the whole chromosome, all the DNA or the telomere 
it's all part of the aging process. Yeah. So, so this is one of the kind of interesting things over the past few years. So it seemed early on that because telomere length correlated so strongly with aging, like almost necessarily, because every time a cell divides, telomeres shorten. Yeah. And unless they have a way to lengthen them, which is the case in cancer and a very few amount of our cells, then they eventually shorten and then get too short and the cells stop growing. So we thought, okay, this must be causing aging as well. And it does to a certain degree. So telomere shortening itself is a cause of some parts of aging, but actually not as much as, as was originally thought. So it seems that it's most accurately looked at now as a clock of aging relative to an individual. And by that mean, by that, I mean, if you can look at your telomeres now and look at them again in 10 years, you can say, how did I do in these past 10 years? That's amazing. It's, it, it, it's really cool, actually. It's really, really cool. Corey, where yeah. do I get that test? <laughs> Honestly, I think if you just, if you just Google telomere length analysis, I bet you you can find a commercial service that does it. There's, there's services that do almost anything now. Telomere length analysis. Sure. Yeah. I, I can try to find some, some links afterwards and send them to you if you want to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to Google that. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm so curious now. There's yeah, so yeah. many things now. So, 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 the, things. so the thing though, is that it's, like I said, it's most useful for you versus you, which is tough because you have to wait a long time for that or have tested a while ago. And there probably weren't these services a while ago because it's, yeah. you know, in the grand scheme of life, it's a relatively recent discovery that, uh, how we can measure telomeres on a large scale. But I know that there's like these rings that you can wear that kind of keep track of all kinds of things happening in your body, your, your heart rate, your blood pressure, your probably your telomere length. <laughs> so telomere length is actually a really, really tough thing to analyze. And also to get inf- useful information out of that analysis is not simple. So, okay. So the, the point that I want to make here is that just like cancers are extremely heterogeneous and what mutations drive them, Telomere lengths can be incredibly heterogeneous, not only within a person. So your skin versus your, you know, your blood cells versus your heart could all have different telomere lengths. They're also very, very different between individuals. So this is when I say that it's relative for you versus you. So if you look at you now and you in 10 years and you look at the exact same set of cells, you could probably say, okay, I did, I did well, or I did poorly for my telomere length and my aging. But if you look at you versus other individuals of your same age, of your same history, right. it, you know, it might be in- indicative, but you as an individual versus other people will not be useful. Looking at a total population could then give you some idea, which is where all of these studies involving the look into the effect of lifestyle or diet on telomere length really come to play. That we look at hundreds of individuals, and we look at a certain, a specific cell the same cell in these different 100 individuals, and we see how this lifestyle or this diet or this supplement affected their telomere length. And most studies look at how this affects something called a leukocyte telomere length, which is these blood cells that, that flow through our body, right? Okay. And when you look at that specific compartment, you're not analyzing all the other telomere lengths. So it's kind of a you know, a litmus test. We, we well, just, a leukocyte, you know, hold on. Leukocyte is a white blood cell. Right. Okay. So why is it um, more important to look at a white blood cell than a red blood cell? So it's, it's actually not that it's more important, but for historical and I think some sort of simplicity reasons, this has been the go-to marker. So the, um, the National Association for Aging has these four factors that need to go into a biological marker of aging. Okay. And one of them is that it has to be a repeatable measure with minimal invasiveness. So to harvest people's blood cells is a lot easier than going and taking a piece of your lung, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, so it's, so it's a simple thing that you can measure repeatedly without causing harm essentially. So that's why we measured that. Not necessarily that it's like the best telomere length measure, but when you want to study 20,000 people's telomere lengths, you can't get in and do a surgery for every single person. Or if you want to have look at one person now and 10 years from now, it's a hard sell to say, hey, we have to have you come in to do surgery to remove this part of your body to look at your telomere lengths. But a simple prick and bloody blood draw is much easier. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Because you, you, with a blood draw, you'd get red blood cells. Right. But, so, but they turn over a lot faster. 
Red, red blood cells turn over every three months, right? Which is why we can like measure things like hemoglobin A1C. So do they turn over too fast? I don't know how fast white blood cells turn over. Yeah. So I'm not sure about the specific turnover rate of different okay. blood cells. Yeah. Okay. But okay. that would affect telomere length in some way, which could lead, which could then lend to the heterogeneity of telomere lengths within an individual. That sure. if you have a compartment of cells that divides faster, then, you know, each time they divide, they lose a certain amount of their telomere because they just can't replicate at all. They get shorter. So then faster division, short, shorter telomeres. It would indeed make sense. But what is the significance then? of measuring the telomere shortening in the white blood cells. So you're comparing your white blood cells today and the telomere length of those cells to, let's say, your white blood cells 10 years from now and the telomere length of those cells. And you're saying that because of the aging process, we know that when we age, we are at risk for all kinds of diseases, cancer being one of them. Right. Um, yeah. So how do we, and, and here's my kind of, which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? We want longer telomeres because we want to stay young. We want to stay healthy. Yes. But we don't want to artificially do something to keep them long because then that could trigger something like cancer yeah so then there's kind of a big taboo in the telomere field of this possibility of adding back this protein this enzyme group of enzymes called telomerase telomerase is this thing that goes on to the ends of our telomeres and adds on telomeric material so this telomerase protein or this telomerase hollow enzyme we call it is active in certain parts of our bodies, our stem cells and our our gonads, our reproductive cells, so that when our stem cells need to replenish another part of our body, our telomeres are still long, and our gonads, obviously, so that our children's DNA um, has appropriate telomere lengths. Problem is that this protein is reactivated in, in most cancers, and that's how most cancers can proliferate unlimited so that their, their telomeres do not necessarily shorten with each cell division. Instead, they have this telomerase hollow enzyme to go in and add in telomeric material. So exactly, if we added, uh, added in telomerase to our entire body, we may prevent some, some aspects of aging, the ones that are caused by telomere shortening, which there certainly are. But exactly as you said, we may be giving cancer one of the tools that it needs to develop and to grow with unlimited replicative potential. So then this is the taboo in the, in the telomere field that if we talk about adding into telomerase, are we just making it easier for cancer to develop? And there are some conflicting views of how this may work. So my lab actually is, as I mentioned earlier, we study how the, the, the play between telomere shortening and cancer prevention or cell death before cancer. And you mentioned apoptosis. Mm-hmm. So this is the most common form of cell death. However, we actually found relatively recently, so this is a 2019 discovery actually, that uh, my lab, my lab, not me, so I joined them recently. My lab found that cells actually die from a different process called autophagy when their telomeres shorten too much. Now, autophagy, uh, you know, in most of the people that study autophagy, they study that in terms of how it can a cell recycle its own internal compartments or external things in order to, to save energy and to be more thrifty with energy. Mm. But we actually found that cells overactivate autophagy and this overactivation of autophagy following telomere shortening leads to cell death. And it seems that this, this telomere shortening and cell death is essential to prevent cancer because the, if you don't kill the cell after telomere shortening, these telomeres that are really short can then fuse to one, one, one to one another. And then in the next cell division, when the telomeres, when the chromosomes will separate, they can break at random points. And if you remember when when chromosomes break and they get repaired in an incorrect way, it could introduce mutations. Mm -hmm. So then this massive amount of telomere fusions and breakages and fusions and breakages results in many, many, many fusions, many, many, many mutations and thus the potential for cancer. Mutations are random, right? But then the cells that happen to get the, just through the right mutation at just the right point, 
could maybe grow more or ignore immune signaling or, you know, X, Y, Z things that cancer needs. So then this is the, the kind of the double-edged sword here that it seems that this telomere, this telomere shortening leading to fusions and many breakages is helpful for cancer. So it's actually good to get short telomeres at first for cancer so that it can introduce many mutations. But one of the goals or one of the necessities of these mutations is to length the telomeres. So it's, it's kind of difficult to say whether or not having telomerase that prevents the shortening from the beginning would actually prevent cancer and lead to longer aging or would boost cancer because it already gives cancer one of the tools that it needs. Yeah, because you don't know what cell is at what point in the aging process. And yeah, I, th- I think it's like pouring um, fuel on a fire. You don't really know. You know where? Yeah, it might be exactly. It's like it might not be the controlled burning that you want. Yes. Yes. Okay. It could be potentially dangerous, which is why this this taboo exists, and there are currently no FDA approved, no you know medical association approved treatments to artificially add telomerase. There are some supplements that people can take that people that companies claim lead to telomere lengthening in in adults and humans but then they also assume will lead to beneficial side effects. But so far, genetic manipulation of this hollow enzyme telomerase is is not something that is medically viable. Okay. Well, so let's talk about then the things that one can do in their lifestyle. Let's say how they, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you is the telomere length, right, of any one of your given cells is that determined more by nature or by nurture? And that's going to lead right into a great segue into that question that I just asked. But is telomere length, like, is that determined more by your genetics or more how you take care of yourself? Yeah, so that's um, that's a good question. And I would say it's probably more related on an average for most people. It's more related to nurture than nature. That being said, there are absolutely cases where um, nature matters more. For example, if your parents went through particularly stressful times, which if you were born, you know, directly following World War II, then you're, or during World War II, then your mom was probably very stressed in that time, pretty much wherever they were in the world. And these stresses can actually lead to shorter telomere lengths of children. And it's shown that if you have a short telomere length as a child, you will probably have a shorter telomere length as an adult. And- Separately, it is shown that short telomere lengths predispose you for an early mortality. So there are specific cases where if something happens to a parent during their life that leads to their children having short telomere lengths, that nature is just unfortunate. (laughs) You have short telomere length. Well, I Um, want to come back to that because you and I have talked about a study of oocytes. And this is a big issue for a lot of young women who go through cancer treatment and find that if they don't do the egg extraction beforehand, I, I was really amazed when I read that study to find that like oocytes don't replenish and they don't reproduce. Like you get what you get when you're born as a girl and that's it. Like that's it. You know, they're only going to get older And your eggs are pretty much old by the time you're ladies. I'm so sorry. By the time you're like 30 something, right? Like your early wife's 33, 33. Okay. So, so (laughs) 33, your eggs are geriatric. Okay. um, Okay. And honestly, there's no way for them to kind of uh, stay young. And so, but women these days are definitely even healthy women are that haven't gone through cancer treatment or anything, their eggs are old and geriatric at 33, let alone a woman who has, let's say, been put into menopause by the time she was 27. By the time she's 33, those eggs are like super duper like old, right? I mean, so I I guess um, I I find it as a double-edged sword too. Like how do we stay young and and oh I, the point of the whole oocyte thing was yeah let's say that both of my grandmothers actually were alive during world war ii so very very hard stressful times 
food not readily available, starvation was a big deal. And we can kind of compare that to kind of what's happening in other parts of the world right now. Speaking scientifically, like there are things happening and people are not aware that like what's happening to those people in that part of the world right now is, is going to be reflected in their grandchildren. Like those, those cells of our bodies are being affected now for future generations. And so I kind of think about like, too, like, yeah, so my, both of my grandmothers and grandfathers were both, they were all alive during world war II. They were all like teenagers or young adults during that time. And so that obviously affected their children and their DNA and me and my DNA. Absolutely. Yeah. And potentially my children's DNA, right? Because I have certain things with my oocytes based on what was happening with them and, and their lifestyle back then. So Gosh, that was a big one. Yeah. So how do we age in a healthy way without putting ourselves at risk for cancer? And what can we do like now besides taking telomerase, which is not available? What can we do in terms of our nurture, the way that we take care of ourselves, our lifestyle, our diet that would, even if you have shorter telomeres than your neighbor or your spouse, right? How do you keep your own telomeres from shortening a whole lot, you know, and putting you at risk. What's the happy medium of that double-edged sword? <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was a lot of really interesting information. I want to go down. I wrote a small list of, of things I'd like to, to talk about what you just said that were all really cool observations and things. So the first one that I want to talk about was you mentioned that as we age, as, as women and women, as women, as everyone ages, you know, our reproductive ability goes down also men. But for women, it's that yeah, there's a sharp decline that's, that's much more of a cliff than, than a steady, you know, hill. And what's interesting about that, that, right, our your oocytes were set up early on in, in your life as a female. So that means they are not dividing. So their telomeres are not shortening, but they are aging. So this is just one example of how aging can happen very much independent from telomere length. So it's not necessary to shorten telomeres in order to age. So that's, that's one thing that I think is important to understand about this, because as your oocytes age, other things are happening to them that it is aging for sure. And those are aging phenotypes that we can even measure in humans. And some of them are even better indicators of overall health, mortality, and actual absolute age than telomere length is. One of these is like the methylation clock that you may have heard of at some point as well, that we have methylation patterns throughout our, throughout our genome, um, which is a modification of our, our chromosomes, our DNA. And this increases over time. And people have tied that to various aspects of aging. Meanwhile, dad's telomeres are actually constantly shortening because they, the, the sperm are always dividing. They're always growing. Right. But they also have some telomerase so they can lengthen their telomeres a bit. Right. So interestingly, it seems that dad's telomere lengths increase over time, despite male reproductive, re male reproductive capacity also going down in time. So there's this weird effect between fertility and telomere length that is not super solid because oocytes are not necessarily losing it. They're not reproducing. Telomeres are actually gaining in sperm, but their reproductive potential goes down. So there's this weird relation between telomere length and reproductive potential that is, yeah, I'm not an expert on that, so I can't say so much more. The impact of stressors on telomere length. So it was, it's, yeah, it's not just if you are, you know, in, in a war, for example, it could even be socioeconomic disparity. So it could be that if you grow up now in a part of the world or just in, in the U.S., you know, we have plenty of poverty in the U.S. If you're homeless, that is a, that could majorly affect your own personal telomere lengths and also the telomere lengths of your future children. So, yes, that's something that is, you know, we have to consider as we, as you think about aging, that somebody could try to reduce aging, but if they're also physically stressed, if they're not exercising enough, if you're not being healthy, then you're probably shortening your telomeres anyways. Even if you take these supplements or whatever, it won't matter because the other things in your life are going to be bad for your health and will lead to shorter telomeres. So some interesting things, you can also see the effect on telomere length following famines or droughts in specific areas of the world, just to drive home again, that these 
life stressors can affect intergenerational telomere lengths. So if you look at, you know, drought in the Middle East or famine in China or anything like that, you can really trace it to people that were pregnant then. How short are these people's telomeres that are born then in the next 20 years, you know? Okay, and then finally to get to your point that I alluded to a little bit of how we can affect our telomere lengths. There are a few supplements on the market that are marketed to to increase telomere length. One that I know of has some evidence that it that it directly has that it directly increases telomere length. It it is it takes an extract from a certain plant that I can't recall right now. And then this extract stimulates telomerase activity. So I told you that telomerase is this protein, it's hollow enzymes protein that lengthens telomeres. It's in cancers and some of our human cells. And it seems that this extract actually stimulates its activity in normal cells, thereby leading to telomere lengthening. And the idea is that if you take this supplement, you may stimulate your own telomerase activity. As we mentioned, that could be bad because maybe you're giving cancer something it needs. Are you talking about resveratrol or are you talking about NMN? I think, I think neither of them, to be honest. Oh, okay. Also, methylation is the process of turning genes on or off, right? That's the method. Right, yeah. right, right. Yes, it is. Yeah, methylation can affect gene expression. And it seems that this methylation overall increases over time in an individual. Okay. And, it, and that is related to aging in some way. Yeah. Also related to cancer because that methylation, that could be kind of the triggering, turning on or turning off gene expression of a gene that would normally be off. Like, for example, BRCA is a gene that would normally be protective against cancer. But when it is turned on, it actually does the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly. Yeah. Changing gene expression patterns through altering methylation states, uh, which is related to epigenetics, which is a hot term that many, some people have heard of, can, can indeed affect cancer formation. Yeah. I love epigenetics. I love talking about that too. That's kind of the study of how we interact with our, how our genetics interacts with our world or how our world interacts with our genetics back and forth. Mm-hmm. With that. That's yeah. Epi. Yeah. 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 So one of my, if I get the opportunity to go into detail about chromosome DNA and instructions, which I think I have the opportunity to now just a bit, one of my favorite things to talk about is the fact that our book of instructions is huge. It's gigantic. It's mega big, mega, mega big, you know, billions of bases, but only a small fraction of it actually contains the instructions to do individual things. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is regulatory and a lot of it actually tells ourselves when where and how it should read that set of instructions and one of those things that can affect this reading of instructions is methylation states epigenetics so then there's all these different combinations of things that lead to the appropriate cell expressing the appropriate protein to become a skin or an eye or a fingernail i think that's it's really fascinating i I agree epigenetics is a really exciting yeah it is fascinating it's fascinating to me too Not all supplements are safe for cancer survivors. For example, maca is, I I think it's a a Peruvian root that's used a lot in like sweet treats that are more natural, but they have maca powder in them. Mm -hmm. So M-A-C-A, it's not the same as matcha. Matcha. I was about to say. No, matcha comes from green tea. And so matcha powder, you've heard of like matcha lattes. Yeah, yeah. Green tea is actually very beneficial and very healthful and protective against cancer, right? right. It's protective. But maca has the potential to modulate hormones in a way that's not good. And so any woman who's had or anyone who's had hormone sensitive cancers, that's it's not an option for them to take anything that has that in it. Also, I was really surprised about a year ago because being of a certain age. um, 33. 33. That's right. So aging is kind of almost an obsession for me right now. And so I was thinking about taking collagen supplements 
And I said, you know what, maybe I should ask about that before I take it, you know, because I had come home from the pharmacy with all these supplements and I was, I was, you know, ready to like pop all these pills. And then something inside of me was like, hmm, I don't know about that. So I went back and I, I asked about that to someone who I really respect, who knows a lot about supplements. And she said, you know what, if you really want an eye opener, search for collagen supplements and tumors. And when I went to PubMed, which I've talked about on this podcast many, many times, PubMed is kind of my go-to, my stomping grounds if I want any kind of scientific information. So, what I use too. It's what all researchers will also use. Yeah, it's, it's really the, the thing that researchers use to find research. Yeah. And I always advocate that, you know, lay people go to this website and search for whatever it is they want to search for. Now, they might fall asleep 100 times before they get to uh, one one article, but you know, it's okay. Like you'll get used to it and you'll, you know, it'll start to make more sense. But I went to PubMed and, and searched for collagen and tumors. And I was completely blown away by the fact that collagen supplements stimulate tumor growth. I I was like mind blown. And so I was like, okay, all that stuff went back to the pharmacy. And I was like, I, you know, really, I think either same day or or the next day. And I was just like, I got to return all this because I can't take it. Interesting, because I mean, that's, that's an over the counter supplement, right? You can buy it on Amazon or something, you can have delivered to your house. It's not something that you need to talk to a doctor about, but it could be incredibly risky for a fraction of Right. And most people don't know it. And that's why I'm so like passionate about what I do and passionate about like putting this information out there so that people have it and that they know, because you wouldn't know, you know, like I didn't know until I started looking and I was just like, it's just collagen, but it's not just collagen. It's not just maca and it's not just astragalus. It's you have to know whether it's safe or not for you to take it. And so I'm very, very careful about taking supplements. And so I'm glad that you, you know, mentioned that. And, and to that degree also, like, I, you know what, I, I have a really hard time because, you know, sometimes I want to take things like resveratrol which comes from, you know, innocently enough, all these things are very innocent, right? Resveratrol is the concentrated phytonutrient that comes from grape skin. And if you eat grapes, you're going to eat it, but you're not going to eat it in a concentrated dosage. And I think maybe that's kind of also the point to make here is that when you're just eating it from food, you're getting more than just that one thing. And so you're getting like everything with it. A grape has water, a grape has other phytonutrients, a grape has maybe things that keep the amount of resveratrol in proportion versus if you go out and get a supplement, a powder, you know, a capsule of resveratrol, you're getting a huge, huge super dose of it. And then, and then you don't know, you know, so yes, you can stop the supplement, but the same thing with folic acid, folic acid is really, really great for women who are embarking on a pregnancy and need that B vitamin support for themselves and for their growing child. Not so much for someone, you know, older and who doesn't need that much folic acid and folic acid could actually be a trigger for growing cancer. So. Yeah. Yeah. Something related to that, that I was looking into recently about antioxidants that you can take, you know, you can attribute some vitamin C has some antioxidant capacity, right? But taking just vitamin C is probably not as effective as eating an orange or having some fruit that has vitamin C in it, because there are many, many, many other things in there that also have antioxidant properties, and maybe they all work a little bit differently. So then having the myriad of things together is significantly more beneficial than having the the targeted individual component, just like you were saying for resveratrol and all the other things that that goes in, in grapes. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know how this translates to health span increase, to longevity increase, to decrease in mortality. So it's really hard to say whether or not that's a good thing to do. It's fairly expensive as well. So it could be financially prohibitive for people. I don't think in, for me personally, I would not go start taking any of these supplements as of the current state of medicine. They do exist. Some that actually has a clinical trial in humans that says it can increase CMR length. Um, I also found some other ones that say that are advertised mostly as, oh, this increases telomere length. And then you look at the active compound, you go to the clinical trials, there's, there's no suggestion that it increases telomere length. And they infer that it does because it has some other activity. 
So um, I guess I guess the point then here is that when it comes to telomere length, that this yeah. is something that we don't have enough evidence yet. We don't have enough information yet. And so it's great that these companies like are same with the nicotinic um, riboside or um, that's NR is the abbreviation, but there's NMN. Uh, so nicotinic mononucleotide is another one of those kind of like chemicals that my favorite researcher, David Sinclair, I mean, I should say my favorite aging researcher, he studies aging. And this is one of, so resveratrol and NMN are his like pet chemicals, if you will. And I mean, it's great, again, for healthy people who stay healthy and, and don't have any fear of cancer, but I don't know who that is because we're all, we all constantly have yeah. cancer mutations in us. They just don't all develop into cancer. So, yeah. you know, to make that you know point very clear, but I, I guess if you've, if you've not been touched by cancer and you don't have that kind of, you know, skeleton hanging around all the time, maybe these things are worth trying, but again, you don't know when it could yeah. not be beneficial to yeah. you. Yeah. And since there is a lack of clinical trials, even looking into whether or not these supplements may increase telomere length, you can bet there's not a clinical trial into how do these supplements affect cancer patients. So exactly mm-hmm. as you said, it's, it's important to understand how, what you're putting in your body is going to affect your body. Everybody's yeah. body is different. So other things that we could do to maybe affect our telomere length in a more positive way. So I, I mentioned supplements first, because I know that is the kind of the thing that most people want to hear is what can I take to increase my telomere length? Right. So now I'm going to tell you what all doctors will tell you and what nobody likes to hear, which is that the only thing that is really proven to, to benefit our telomere length and decrease aging is to be healthy overall, you know, not, and it's not just being healthy. Like people have really studied the exact impacts of physical activity of stress, but it'll just like psychological stress of fat intake of coffee, of alcohol, of tobacco, of fruits, of veggies, legumes, wheat, all that stuff. And really each study that I read, each review that I met analysis that I looked at, looked at a ton of reviews, it's really just being healthy overall. There were a couple of surprises in there, but overall it's, you know, you want to drink less, preferably none. You want to smoke less, preferably none. You need to do physical activity, preferably aerobic activity, you know, three to 30 or 40 minutes a day, multiple times a week. You want to reduce stress. So if you're, you know, if you're experiencing, if you're going through something in your personal life or you have some cause of stress in your life, it's good to try to reduce that as much as you can. Right. Right. Then. I'm eating well, eating well. well. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So having, having a good diet is really huge. So even though there is a whole lot of heterogeneity, so differences from person to person of telomere length, which makes it really hard to understand how diet or different clinical interventions may affect telomere length. There have been so many studies into different populations in the world where you can say this group of people that live in Sardinia, that is this you know, so-called blue zone where they have very healthy aging, they live very long. What diet do they take and what are, what are their telomeres like? So there's been a lot of clinical studies into what different diets may affect telomere length. And because people eat such different things from around the world, we've actually gotten a good amount of information. So a few diets that are commonly studied are Mediterranean diet and Western diets. So Western diets are more energy intensive. We have more sugar intake and Mediterranean diets, as we know, are a little more overall healthy, you know, olive oil instead of butter, that kind of thing, less red meat, more fish. And actually it seems Mediterranean diets overall are more healthy for our telomere lengths than Western diets. So it does seem that there is a correlation of specific diets from specific parts of the world with longer telomere lengths. Mm, amazing. And yet everybody ages all over the world. Everybody ages. Yeah. Even that is one thing also. <laughs> yeah. Even Mediterranean. That is one thing to consider exactly that even though Mediterranean diet may extend your lifespan, may slightly lead to increased telomeres or fight telomere shortening, I think it's more appropriate. These people will still age all the same. Exactly. They're not going to be 200 years old. They're going to be maybe 15 to 20, mm-hmm. you know, so the apps, and that is also a huge difference. So a lot of the times when you look at studies that really show the absolute amount of telomere length difference, you're looking at a very small fraction, like maybe 5% difference or 10% difference of telomere length max, but generally it's 5%. So when it comes to diet, here's my two big questions. Intermittent fasting is really, really popular right now with a lot of people. 
And so with intermittent fasting, right, calorie restriction is a type of intermittent fasting or a type of fasting. And so if we're talking about calorie restriction, because this is one that came up a lot, a lot, a lot in the things that I was reading. So calorie restriction is chemoprotective and also protective of your telomeres. So it protects against aging. And then also the other surprise to me about diet was that methionine restriction. And methionine is a one of our essential amino acids, which means we can only get it from our food. But methionine, having a low methionine or methionine restricted diet has been shown to be protective against cancer, against developing cancer. And specifically in breast cancer, specifically triple negative breast cancer. So I'm just curious what you think about calorie restriction for telomere protection and then also the methionine restriction. Yeah. So this is another one of those examples where it seems that the, the correlation of telomeres with aging effects on aging are not really perfect because actually both caloric from the studies that I know, both caloric restriction and methionine restriction do prevent aging phenotypes, but not telomere shortening. Mm. So I think that both of them act independent from telomere length, which is quite interesting because again, it shows that, you know, it's telomeres or maybe sort of the marks on the tree that say how how old it is, but they're not necessarily functional for, you know, the tree's age, like having more, more uh, bands doesn't necessarily mean the tree is more unhealthy. It just means it's a little bit older. I don't know how exactly caloric restriction works to reduce aging. I think it's a fairly complex process. For methionine restriction, I, th- I think I understand a little bit more. It seems that it boosts DNA repair in some way. And by boosting DNA repair, you may be able to prevent mutations that accrue with aging and may, may contribute partially to aging. Hmm. So that is a one potential way that it works. But I guess those don't have direct impacts on tumor length. So it's tumor length independent reduction of aging. The surprise that I saw was coffee. Oh, which is a very nice, I was very happy to see that because I, so coffee actually has, you know, many things in it of which is caffeine and caffeine is not necessarily regarded very highly, you know, among in the medical community. I don't think it has a whole lot of necessarily positive benefits. We use caffeine in research to inhibit this specific protein that is a very, very important DNA repair molecule called ataxia telangiectasia mutated or ATM. So this ATM protein is one of the most important DNA damage response proteins, which means that it is heavily involved in the the cellular response to to DNA damage to repair that damage and prevent mutations. So caffeine inhibits this and caffeine is in coffee. So I would expect from my basic understanding of of caffeine and coffee and how caffeine works, that coffee would not be good for aging, that it would inhibit DNA repair and overall inhibition of DNA repair. It can also lead to shorter telomere lengths, but instead coffee really seems like multiple studies show that coffee can, I don't, I don't know if it increases telomere length, but it may decrease telomere shortening. So of individuals that drink more coffee more regularly, they seem to have longer telomeres and maybe age a little bit better. So that was, that was the, the one shocker for me that, ca- that coffee is really, <laughs> seems to be pretty good. Well, first of all, thank God. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Side of that, right? Yeah, finally one of our vices that is not actually bad for us. Because <laughs> um, I actually like to just drink one cup a day in the morning and that's it. I tell my clients, like, don't drink too much, you know, yeah. like, not too much, like not three or four cups during the day because that caffeine can really affect you in other ways. Definitely, I'm happy that I can still have my one cup a day. So Yeah, yeah. And actually, that, that brings me to one other thing that could affect telomere length, sleep. Sleep. Which is the other side of being healthy, right? Yes. That if, we, if you get better sleep, overall, your whole body is better. And it seems that also correlates with telomere length. How that connection works, I don't know. And I don't think probably anyone does. Because I think how sleep really benefits us is still a bit of a mystery. There's a lot of research into how sleep is good. Right. Um, but then, so yeah, sleep is important. And as you said, caffeine could affect sleep. So there you go. I would even expect that too much coffee could negatively affect TMR length because it affects your sleep. 
Well, sleep is so important for us. I have kind of delved into this topic quite a bit. And so when we're sleeping is when our body is repairing itself. So all those cert genes, all the repairs kind of happening at night. And that's also when, for example, in our brain, our brain sort of takes out the trash, right? I actually found out that our brain shrinks just a teeny tiny amount, but enough to let that lymphatic fluid go through it. And then that sort of wa- like like a washing cycle in your machine, right? So it it takes out all of the trash that the brain cells have produced during the day, and it takes it out through the lymphatic system. And then when you wake up in the morning, your brain sort of goes back to mm. normal size again. But that like just my minutia of shrinkage at night when you're not using your brain to think just allows that like washing cycle to happen and take out all the trash. So that's number one. The other thing about sleep is that Matthew Walker is a scientist at Berkeley and he wrote a book called why we sleep, which was fascinating. And he dives into the science of sleep in there and really like so many ways that it affects our society in terms of not being awake, not being productive, you know, having slower reflexes, like when we're driving, I mean, all, all kinds of things yeah. related to sleep. And, and, and so I always say, you know, sleep is very, very important for us if we want to be healthy. And, you know, it's true. If you're moving and mm-hmm. you're exercising, the stress that you create from exercising is good stress. It's you stress. It's mm-hmm. the kind of stress that you, it's like when you go to the gym and you work out, right? Like everything gets a little bit stronger and a little better, but it's still creating a little bit of stress. It's the stress that you talked about earlier from famine, from drought, from war, from all, you know, all kinds of things like that. And maybe even psychological stress of sitting in traffic for an hour, which I'm sure less people are doing that now than before the pandemic. But that kind of stress is distress. And I'm always fascinated by like, does your body really know the difference between you stress and distress? You know, there must be something there of different kinds of chemicals being released, like endorphins versus leukocytes, or not leukocytes. Um, what, what am I thinking of? The leuco, like uh, interleukins, interleukins. Interleukins, sure. Right. Okay. So like some of the interleukins are good ones, but some of the interleukins are bad ones. So I think your body probably does have a way to differentiate you stress from distress. Um, yeah. Yep. yeah. And I think it's, yeah, I think it, it's, it can be based on environmental factors. Like if you're not eating enough, that is a form of stress for your body. But the term stress that we're fi- that we are referring to here is a very big blanket term, right? Because there's a psychological stress of being either having anxiety or depression or being worried about how much money you're making, how much, how you're going to get food on the table. And that is a psychological stress. And then there's the body stresses that you mentioned, like exercising is sort of a positive stress. Yeah. But a negative stress could be smoking or, you know, eating poorly or not exercising is also kind of a form of a negative stress in a certain way. And I think they're both kind of translated differently. So I think the psychological stress leads to increased inflammation throughout our body, kind of more chronic inflammation states. And these inflammation states can lead to increased DNA damage, mm. among other things. It, it may it may also function in independent ways, but I know that at least this is what I'm and then the physical stress of not exercising could lead to obesity that could also lead to DNA damage and various other things. And similarly, eating unhealthy could lead to DNA damage again. So a lot of it is also linked to DNA damage. Yeah. Amazing. Corey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here and, and offering, you know, my, myself and my listeners all this information about telomeres and uh, diet and healthy living and so forth. And I just really appreciate your time. I just have one last question for you. Sure. What does a life well lived mean to you? You know, I, I heard that you asked this question at the end of your podcast and I was thinking, Oh man, I'm totally going to come up with a great response to it. And then I got caught up in preparing for telomeres that I, I didn't <laughs> go over it. So maybe this is a bit more of an honest response because coming up with it on the spot. To me, a life well lived means that first and foremost, you are happy with things that you do and that you help spread this happiness to other people and you try to make life better for other people. Mm. That's life well lived for me. I think that's a great answer. Again, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you. That was a lot of fun for me. 
I am very passionate about talking about science to to other people that are not scientists, as you may have been able to tell through throughout this interview. Um, and I really maybe maybe someday I'll also even get into making my own podcast, doing my own science communication. Then I can invite you onto it. Oh, that would be awesome! I would love it, and maybe we can just do this again. So, like that would oh, be absolutely. Great. Yeah, if you ever want Telemers Part Two, we can. I'd, I'd be down. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Cool. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you. Great. Thank you, Regina. Wasn't this an amazing episode? If you loved it as much as I did, I hope you'll do two things for me. Number one, share it with your friends who you think might benefit from this information. And number two, please rate and review the podcast. It helps other people find great information just like this. And it's like a warm hug, like a recommendation about a great book from a close friend. So that's how it works when you rate and review the podcast. And I would love it if you could give me some feedback on what you liked or what you'd like to hear more of so that I can better serve you as my listener. So sending you lots of love, peace, and healing. And I'll catch you right back here next time.